Hi there, my friends, and welcome to Brent Poland's podcast with me, Brent. And today I'm going to be discussing and looking at the issue of crime, policing, and our safer streets. Now, it's been quite an interesting couple of months when it comes to those issues, and even a, quite an interesting couple of weeks uh, when it comes to those issues, as we've seen with the protests of Killing the Bill, um, which is not a movie. It's the killing the policing bill. Um, we've seen, obviously, statues being protected. We've seen the Sisters Uncut uh, vigil go horribly wrong. And we've seen huge amount of controversy and discussion about how we should be policed during this global pandemic. Which has led many to come to the understanding that the government is taking a very authoritarian turn and that the government should be relaxing its rules. Um, and it seems that they are doing quite the opposite. And with an 80-seat majority in Parliament, um, they can pretty much do what they want. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I don't believe that the government have engineered COVID, because that would be very, very difficult to do. You mean you've got too many variables there. However, is this government opportunistic? Yes. Is it populist? Yes. Is it authoritarian? Yes. Has it co-opted certain sections of the media? Yes. Has it tried to erode the power of the courts? Yes. Has it broken rules in Parliament to bypass our checks and balances in our democracy? Yes. Has it taken us out of the European Union, which is a, again a check on its power? Yes. And every turn you start to see a very dangerous pattern emerging. And that pattern is a pattern where we can see cronyism, corruption, We see the government breaking the very rules and then telling us that we should adhere to their rules. Now that is starting to look very like a fascist dictatorship. And we're not there yet. There's many things you have to do before you get to a fascist dictatorship or an authoritarian regime. Now I know this because I grew up in a conflict situation in Northern Ireland during the Troubles. And I know what authoritarianism is like. I know what a curfew is like. I know what armed police look like a riot situation looks like. I know all about corruption, cronyism, political violence. And I can spot the signs of what's happening in England. It's quite shocking. After spending half of my life in either country, I've been 19 years in England. And one of the things I liked about being in England, one of the things that that shocked me when I arrived in England 19 years ago, was that the police cars were lit up like Christmas trees. The, the, The police cars were like, you know, highlighters, they're luminous. Now, in Northern Ireland, when I was growing up, your police cars were not. They were armoured civilian vehicles that you um, unmarked because they were habitually attacked. You know, the police went round in armoured, plated Land Rovers, you know, to stop petrol bombs and attacks and shootings. And I had to adjust to a civilian society where the police force was integrated within society, respected by society, and policed by consent. What I'm seeing now is scaring me. What I'm seeing now is bringing back some horrible memories of the type of society that was divided, that was angry at itself, that could never deal with certain individual things. Even to the point... Flag obsession. We're seeing a form of nationalism regarding flag obsession. And 
and I know it's not healthy but this has been done on purpose it's been engineered on purpose and I do have a lot of respect for the police in this country at the moment the job they've done during Covid and for many of them I don't think they want these these laws or rules. I've spoken to friends of mine who are in the police force and they are deeply frustrated because they want to, to police by common sense and consent and they want ordinary people not to be antagonistic towards them. They, they, they require the support and respect of the population. But when you've seen what's happened in Bristol, when you saw what happened in London, it calls into question seriously the conduct of some officers and unfortunately those bad apples give the rest of the force a bad reputation and that is not fair. The same is said of the guys in charge, you know, the ordinary police officers trying to do their job and I never blame the ordinary police officers for doing their job, I look at the people behind them and the people behind them are your police commissioners who are elected. Okay, by political parties. Right. So is there a politicisation of the police? Is there? Should the police, like our BBC, like our civil service, like our courts, should they be impartial and neutral? Are we seeing a co-opting of our journalists? Are we seeing our society slowly but surely being corrupted? And part of the process is, is, is there a corruption of our police? Are they being undermined? And certainly to what end? To what end? And this is where it becomes quite quite scary when you, you track back all the things that this government has tried to do populously, you know, breaking the rules, breaking international law, cronyism, contracts. I mean, type hypocritical of you know Robert Jenrick to say that he's taking over Liverpool because it's got corruption and, and, and illegal contracts being handed out. I mean, that's borderline hilarious. You know, it's borderline hilarious to keep to the rules, keep to the rules. Right, Dominic Cummins didn't keep to the rules. Jenrick himself didn't keep to the rules. Boris, did he keep to the rules? How did he catch COVID? How did most of them catch COVID? You know, there's so many instances where you see them with their masks off and there they are not socially distant. You think... You're telling us what to do. Now, I'm an educator. I'm a teacher. And I respect the police for the reason that I am a bit of a police officer myself. I patrol corridors and I patrol school, you know, as if I am a police officer. And the rules are important. And there are times when children have a cropper of my rules. And I'm like, you know what? These are the rules in my classroom. And you will, you will have to obey them. You don't like them? I don't like enforcing them. Do I want to punish children? Do I like punishing children? No. Hell no. I do not feel good after I've punished a child. Not a bit. But I know I have to, because I have to adhere to a certain standard. But I have a golden rule. I will never tell a child off for doing something I have done myself. I will wear a mask and ask them to wear a mask. I will set the example and lead by example. And therefore, our police officers should be leading by example. I grew up in a society that was violence perpetuated by the system, by the state. And then they criticised terrorists for using the same violence. I could not distinguish sometimes between who was the state terrorist and who was the actual terrorist. Because in many occasions, the state terrorist was actually being employed by the government to inside the terrorist organisations. And that is called collusion.
Now, we have seen recently bills go through Parliament and they've been read through the House of Lords and sent back because the Green peers in the House of Lords, Jenny Jones, Natalie Bennett, are furiously looking at what's called the Spy Cops Bill. Now, that was allowing for the police to use children as undercover agents. Children snitching. This is Orwellian. This is really dystopian Orwellian type stuff that we're seeing being pushed through. And even the kill the bill itself. You know, protesting gets you 10 years. Well, where would Dr. King be on that one? Where would my parents have been on that? This is why people took to the streets in the 1960s across the world. Not just in America and Alabama, but in, in places like Derry and Belfast to Alabama, to Paris, you know, this is the generation, the, the, the baby boomers generation, that this is what they fought for, this is what the suffragists, suffragette fought for, and, and I'm sorry, people have to, every generation assert their right to peacefully protest, that is democracy, that is acceptable, that should never ever be outlawed, because if you want to outlaw peaceful protest, I tell you exactly what happened likes of my parents. My parents didn't turn violent. They were not the type. But many others who tried peacefully in the north of Ireland in the 1960s, when they got retaliated by the state and pushed and pushed and pushed and beaten down and shot at, then what do you think the reaction is? If peaceful protest is outlawed, it goes underground, it festers and it transforms into something else. And I can tell you that's what happened in the French Revolution. I can tell you that's what happened in the Russian Revolution. And I can tell you all throughout history that when you repress people's freedom and rights, there is then a reaction. And when that reaction happens, then the state has to react. And then the state reacts with violence begets violence, hatred begets hatred, and killing begets killing. And my... I am really concerned. This is not fear-mongering. This is not scaremongering. This is the words of an historian who has lived through a conflict situation, whose parents stood on the streets and demanded justice. The world changed. We are now regressing. We are regressing. There are serious, serious implications for this, for our freedoms, for our democracy, for our rights. And you know what? For our, so our, our international standing, we cannot be lecturing other countries and likes of Hong Kong and saying to the Chinese, oh, Chinese, you're oppressing people's rights in Hong Kong, when they're doing exactly the same thing. This is hypocrisy of the highest order. This is nothing short of absolutely astounding hypocrisy. You cannot treat your citizens like this. We have the right to express ourselves. We have the right to protest peacefully. We have the right to peaceful non-compliance. Gandhi taught us that. Gandhi taught us that and he got battered by the state. He got battered by the British British state. He got battered by the British Empire. You know what he did? He didn't retaliate. He would not go down that route. So I appeal to anybody who's listening here to keep your peaceful protests peaceful. Keep them peaceful. Don't retaliate. Don't, don't, don't do it, please. Because it is the quick, easy way to more authoritarianism. Hold your discipline. Hold it. And I know it's hard. I know it's hard when they're coming at you and I know it's hard when they're battering you and I know it's hard when they're beating you down but you are better than them. You rise up against it. You take it on the chin and you show them you're not afraid. What can they do to you when you know you're not afraid of them? That's how this system works. 
and that is how it is defeated. It is defeated by people simply saying, no, we will not obey these unpredictable and unfair rules. If the law is broken, the law is there for the people, the people fix the law. There is democratic ways of doing that. And the democratic ways of doing that are coming up to the elections in May the 6th. Send this government a signal that you will not be tolerated losing your rights to an authoritarian government who is using populism to get away with it and division within society. Because unfortunately if this is allowed to happen, it's like the old Spanish Civil War mantra, if you tolerate this, then your children will be next. What are we handing over to the next generation? A country divided, a country at war with itself, a country that is, 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 is being put against each other by a government who is just sowing the seeds of division and increasing its power over us. And to do so, it's the classic Machiavellianism. The classic Machiavellianism, if we're fighting among ourselves, then we're not looking at the direction we should be looking at. We should be looking at all the policies of this government, holding them to account. And at the moment, we're too busy talking about flags, protests, statues. It is on purpose. They're taking these issues, migrants, all of these issues. Now that Brexit is done, this is what the new system will be. It will be liberals and lefties and socialists and do-gooders. I've had people attack me on social media calling me a do-gooder and I'm going are you having a go at me because I want to help children? I'm a teacher and I want to help people and I mean having a go at it. How does this relate to safer streets? Well it comes down to this. We cannot have safer streets if we don't have trust in our police force. We cannot have safer streets if a society is in heightened tensions and hypersensitive to, to danger. And all of this language, all of these draconian measures and authoritarianism does not make people feel safer. It does the opposite. It creates a culture of fear, intimidation, and that culture of fear changes human behaviour. And let me tell you, I can tell you about a culture of fear. I can tell you what it does to the human psyche. It makes you extremely hypersensitive and it does not pleasant experience to live in a culture like that. You are constantly worried, you're constantly stressed, you're constantly thinking where is the danger coming from and you begin to reach a point where you don't even realise it's happening. And that's why we should have calm. That's why we should have a police force not using violence or aggression. A police force that uses common sense that negotiates with people, that talks to people, that relates to people, that serves the people, not the government. Because that's a police force, it's our police force, not their police force. And we should not allow them to take our police force away from us. They are our citizens, they're our friends, they're our family. It's our police force, not the government's. And if we create this, it's their police. It's not. It is not. It is our police. We are the police. We police ourselves through consent to the police force. They rely upon us. And that's how it should be in a civilised society where we are able to, in some ways, the perfect society is a society that very rarely uses the police force. Our society was so happier, so much better well-being. And for us as Greens, that is what we aim for. We aim for a society where there's less intervention in people because we don't want to tell people what to do. We want people to make the decisions themselves. That's called empowerment. 
That's why people police their own actions, not because of the selfishness, but out of community spirit, out of helping each other, out of cooperation. That's why I don't believe in draconian prison sentences. You don't solve crime by putting somebody in prison. You solve crime by trying to figure out the causes and the root causes of crime. And as a social scientist, I can tell you a lot of crime is driven, sometimes in necessity, sometimes in social deprivation, but the root causes of crime are complicated. And simply having longer sentences is not always a deterrent. I'll give you the example of places like America where they have the death penalty, or those, or those counties that have the death penalty, or those places in America where the death penalty have less murder rates. Ironically, they don't. Some people seek out those places to have murder because they want to go on death row because they want notoriety. There is no correlation there. No correlation at all. And even when we send people to prison, do we reform them? Do we solve it? Or do we stick a sticking plaster over it? Yes, when I see somebody commit a heinous crime, I'm angry and I want justice. That's the thing. We want justice, fairness, equality. We want people to be punished for the crimes that they do. But we also want to prevent those crimes. Prevent them rather than create them and other them and send them into a prison system which then turns them into a criminal we also have in many ways we should hold on to our police force we also have privatization of our police forces we've seen that when it comes to high-speed rail where we see for instance you know the police sitting on one side and these private security firms literally battering people disgusting absolutely disgusting and these organizations you're your security companies given contracts by the government and giving powers and authorities of police forces that that is dangerous that's corporate that is money that is when you lose your rights when you have a private army of individuals who have the ability with the law on their side to turf people off their own land that is disgusting that is not acceptable in a supposedly first world democracy in a country that prides itself in being the mother of all parliaments handing over authorities and police powers to corporations, jackbooted individuals, is not acceptable. And that is happening far too often as well. Now, where private companies are arresting people, where private companies are above the law. And that is, you want to look what's happening at the moment with high-speed rail, then you look at that. Because what we're seeing there is we're seeing criminality, yes, but not from peaceful protesters. Criminality from those protecting the interests of government and protecting the interests of private vested interests and individuals with money. And that is cronyism. That's a slippery slope to authoritarianism when the law does not protect the ordinary citizen but protect the interests of individuals. That is what you get in a corrupt society, not our society. And that is slipping its way in bit by bit, bit by bit. We're slowly losing that connection to our police force. We're slowly losing that connection between ourselves and those that we charge with authority over us. Because that authority that we give to them is the authority that we give our MPs to represent us on our behalf. And that is authority given to them, invested in them, that they do not abuse that authority and that they use that authority sparingly and only when essential. And the vast majority of police officers want that. Thank <laughs> you.
So, in this part of the podcast, I'm going to look at specifically some surprising, actually, Green Party policies on policing and crime. And the thing is, is that, yes, we are a little bit woolly, liberal, nice guys. And that's true. And as much as I am that too, I do feel the same way as everybody else. I do want to be justice. I do get angry about crime. I've got a young family. I want to protect them. So you have to have a balance. And that's the thing about rights, crime, justice. It all has to be fair and balanced. And when it's not fair and balanced, that's when you have problems. And again, I know that as an educator standing in front of 700 kids. And they'll all tell you, I've been at this 17, 18 years. I'm always fair and balanced. And I've got a couple of rules that I always keep to. One, I always forgive people for the transgressions. Now, with me personally, that comes from part of my faith. It also comes from the fact that I wouldn't say in my life that I've always always obeyed the rules. I'm not perfect. Who is perfect? And from even professional mistakes that I've made, I've had to humbly apologise to kids and say, I've got that wrong. Or equally, we'd ring a parent up and say, you know what? I was out of order there, I'm sorry, and ask for forgiveness. Now, I'm not a big fan of people judging people. I'm more a fan of the fact that human beings are fallible. We make errors of judgment, we make mistakes. And the key to it, and I suppose for me, is why I'm a green, is why I'm a practicing Christian, why I'm a teacher. It all comes together into an understanding of not condemning people for their faults. And again, that's a bit of a Gandhi thing, but actually trying to reform them and point out to them the error of their ways. And over the years of the two and a half, three thousand children I've taught, the amount of times that they come back to me through social media and go, I'm really sorry about the way I was when I was younger. And they they don't understand that I've forgotten all about those bad things and I try to remember the positives. Because human beings have the capability of such great joy and humility and, and great love towards each other. But we have the capacity for great stupidity. And I often, as a skin, as a social scientist, try and understand why some decisions are made. Why why do people do what they do? And as a green, we're evidence-based in our policies. We're again trying to figure out the human condition. And that means that our crime and punishment policies do follow that route. They follow the route of trying to understand, not condemn, trying to reform, trying to come to a better outcome than just simply locking locking people away and throwing away the key. Because for anything, that does not resolve the person's issues. That does not reform them. That does not teach them what they've done wrong. It merely just locks them away and throws away the key. And that is expensive as well. So looking at the likes of Green's policies, we, we, we think about reducing the social factors and increasing quality of life and increasing the material wealth of everybody. And therefore, for reduction of crime, if you reduce those social inequalities, then you reduce crime. And that makes a lot of sense. I mean, that's a win-win. You, you are making a more equitable society, plus you're reducing crime. I mean, who doesn't want that? And you look at specific policies like social causes, you know, CJ110, this talks exactly about that. Um, our current justice system has got some great ideas. You know, it has got elements of reform in there, but all of it's not joined up thinking. It's, it's all over the place, really. And 
keeping the best parts of our current justice system and reforming other parts of the justice system is what we'd be about as well. So we'd look at the rehabilitation of, of, of people who've committed crimes. We'd look at, for instance, um, striving for social and economic justice by restorative justice. And I saw that in Rwanda after the genocide of Rwanda. How did their country like come to an understanding? And I understand restorative justice. I mean, there are former terrorists who are now in government in parts of Northern Ireland. And they are quite humble about what happened to them. And you've got one side of people saying, well, once a terrorist, always a terrorist. The other side of that is, well, actually, they've. how can they make up for what they've done? Should they be condemned for the actions that they took when they were younger? Or should they, I'm not saying be forgiven, but should they serve their penance? And in serving their penance, they make good. They try and undo and restore some of what they they took from people. And they, I suppose, is redeem themselves. It's a bit like the Hollywood movie where the person redeems themselves by sacrificing themselves. And I think that's a powerful thing that we should be looking at. And that is something that's inherent within green strategy is, is to help people redeem themselves, make better people of themselves, rather than condemn them for their faults and just simply punish them. And that is something I do on a daily basis with children. That is something I do at a micro level in the classroom every day. Then why can't we do that at a macro level in society? Why can't we do that in a macro level in society, what we do in the classroom every day? And believe you me, I'm no self-touch. I am definitely no self-touch, and any child that's been taught by me will tell you how strict I am, but how fair I am, and equally, how humane I am. Because all of those should go together, is that you cannot have a justice policy without looking at the individual who's committed the crime as well, and to the reasons why they've committed the crime. But equally, the person who the crime's been committed to deserves to feel as if they have been listened to and that they've had an element of justice as well. And that's where we look at the, the symbols of the scales of justice and talking about the balance of the harm that was done to the victim or community. And harming the offender in retaliation for the harm they've caused, well, what does that resolve? Instead, we would look at one of our policies, CJ116, Crime and Justice 116, talks about the offender making their reparations, i.e. their redemption. What can they do for the community that helps make up for the crime that they've done to those individuals or the community? And that is about that redemption, earn their redemption. Actually putting people in prison is easy. They do a crime, they go into prison, they walk around the yard, they play computer games, they sit and watch TV, and they sit and they lose their freedom. So what? It's actually harder and tougher on some individuals that they have to redeem themselves. They have to work hard to win people back, win people over. And in fact, when you've seen those courts in places like Rwanda, when they sit down, imagine you're sitting down in a village under a tree in a court and your next door neighbour has killed your family and they have to face you. I've seen this in action. I've seen it in South Africa. I've seen it where I've come from. Where It's very, very powerful. It's extremely powerful. Again, I use this in the classroom. When you get a victim who's bullied and you get them face the person who has been bullied it is very powerful when they see what they've done and hear what they've done the testimony it is extremely powerful because the person themselves who's, who's done the bullying 
is actually also potentially a victim. Because why have they done what they've done? And the thing that we look at within within our progressiveness is to break the cycles, to try and break the cycle of crime. Crime begets crime. So let's try and break the cycle of crime by educating. Um, we would look at trying to heal the rifts resulting from crime and to reintegrate people rather than outlaw them, rather than outcast them, reintegrate them into society, redeem them, ultimately forgive them. And that's powerful because that means the victims can move on. That means the victims can have some peace of mind. And that means that maybe something positive can come out of it. And I know, I myself have been victims of crime, and how angry you can feel. But that anger is poison. And it doesn't help, it doesn't help, it doesn't help many people. Now, my next door neighbour lost his daughter. Um, Joanne was 20. And she was blown up by an act of terrorism. And she was working in a hardware store. And I'll never forget to this day that our, our school caregiver, Paul, what a good, honest family man. An absolute hero. Working class hero. And he never showed any hatred towards the people who killed his daughter. In fact, I never forget when he spoke in front of the whole church and he said, I don't want retaliation. I don't want revenge. I don't want vengeance. He pitied those that, that killed his daughter and he then spent the rest of his time in school giving us all a religious medal to protect us and we all accepted that and we all took those little religious medals which had blue string on them i never forget to this day i never forget to this day the message that that man taught me that bitterness and hatred bitterness and hatred just poisons and that although he had lost there was a hole in that man's heart and god bless him of what happened to him but certainly he was a better person for it and an inspiration and to me even now still to this day he would probably be in some ways happy that I remember that action that selfless action that act of forgiveness of an ultimate crime to to kill that man's child but he didn't want to perpetuate the cycle he didn't want those people harmed for it he was a devoutly Christian man and therefore his faith obviously came into that um, we found out subsequently and it's under investigation that the individuals responsible were actually part potentially part of the state and were undercover in a terrorist organisation and didn't pass on the warning and that shows exactly the reasons why the likes of us Greens want to stop those type of dangerous bills that accountability has to be held at all levels and again we would want police accountable at local level independent investigations into the police more community and part-time police at local level police from all walks of life diversity representing the diversity of the community representing all of the community crime prevention rather than crime punishment and we would like to see the Lawrence Inquiry recommendations put into action. That police reflect the diverse of the society that they are actually policing. We want more community policing, more local policing. I would even go so far as to say the old type of policing you would have got in the old um, Heartbeat, remember Heartbeat, the uh, TV series. That type of community policing. Your local police officer, the Ballykiss Angel police officer, the local police officer for the local people who knows the local people, who cares about the local people, 
who can use their discretion and their common sense and police in a way that is con- conducive to being integrated within the local community. And that in itself is, is exactly what policing should be. We would want to reduce the prison population because it's ridiculous the amount of people we incarcerate and the cost it costs us. Like educate people and reform them. And looking at, for instance, reparations that those people can pay back to the community rather than incarcerate them. How can we make them work for the community and actually the community see that they are genuinely sorry for what they've done? If they're not, well, we'd have to go to the next level. But certainly reform people, get them back into society, reintegrate them into society and not criminalise them. Yes, somebody's committed a crime, but there are people who commit crimes and sometimes you look at that individual, they're unlucky. Other times, absolutely, they've committed a crime knowingly. But too often, the system creates more problems rather than resolves them. And that is where the system is all wrong. We would like to, and one of the things that the Green Party is very, very strong on, is policing. We have six policies when it comes to domestic abuse. Six policies we have because we recognise the massive failings that there are. And these policies existed all the way back in 2005. So that when you see now the sisters uncut and reclaim the streets, we have been saying this for years. We've been saying this for years, that you have a multi multi-agency task forces are needed from schools, from NHS, from social workers to psychologists to anybody involved in education, social work or, or policing to try and root out the causes of domestic abuse, to try and help protect, prevent and also stop this plague of domestic abuse because it is not being resolved. It has got out of control in many aspects and of course with lockdown and COVID, this has not helped whatsoever. There's a crisis here and it needs serious looking at. And we have six specific policies on this because we do care. We deeply, deeply care as Greens about the most vulnerable in our society. That's part of our social ethos. And of course, we wouldn't be Greens if we didn't talk about environmental crime. And we would want to strengthen environmental laws and we call it ecocide because you cannot, as we say, have climate justice without social justice and the two are connected we also look at financial crime and fraud crime and and this idea you know 2008 the banking crisis was caused by people who walked away with millions in the bank and they just left us in an absolute lurch we would strengthen those financial crimes because too many of those individuals are committing crimes we would you know society punishes somebody who steals 20 pounds out of your wallet but does not punish somebody who steals 20 million, well, steals it, legally steals it, or embezzles it, or somehow gets away with those type of crimes. And unfortunately, the, the, those massive corporate crimes, well, are they crimes? But they are. They're stealing from society. So for me, and for the Green Party, we want to see the financial sector and fraud crime increased. That is a flavour of what we are about as a progressive individuals, that's a flavour of how me personally, how I feel about crime and punishment, quite strongly. Um, it's not that we Greens are weak on it. It's not that, you know, the Tories are, are strong on it because they're the party of law and order. No, they're the party of, of basically lock people up, throw away the key and then not solve the problem. I believe in solving problems rather than and, and creating solutions, rather than perpetuating a cycle that just gives people the sense that something has been done. It's the sake of doing something for the sake of doing something. But particularly, 
what is it that Benjamin Franklin said about liberty and freedom a society that you know takes away your liberty and freedom to protect your liberty and freedom deserves neither and that's why we have to be mindful that simply punishing people for crimes is not good enough any longer we need to think very carefully about what the function of our police is our laws our courts and be mindful of the democracy that we've nurtured because we would like to increase our democracy by generally more involving people in things like crime and punishment thank you for listening my friends uh, next week i'll be discussing access to green and open spaces access to i suppose healthy clean environments thank you for listening my friends Thanks for listening, my friends. And if you enjoyed what you heard, then please like, share and subscribe. And any feedback that you can give me would be more than appreciated. <laughs> Teachers love feedback. You can find me on Twitter at BrentPoland1. You can find me on YouTube at BrentPoland1. Funny enough, Instagram, my account is BrentPoland1. However, my Facebook is my local Arrowwash Green Party. And that is Arrowwash Green on Facebook. Thank you again, my friends. <laughs>